Hey everyone, welcome to the Silicon Alley Podcast. I'm your host, William Glass, and on the Silicon Alley Podcast, we talk to entrepreneurs as their journeys are unfolding and get into the minds of each and every entrepreneur we speak with. So on this week's episode, I speak to Steve Kahan. He is the Chief Marketing Officer of Thycotic, a cybersecurity company that is blowing up. They are doing incredibly well, and Steve has just released a new book called Be a Startup Superstar. Steve is now in his seventh company and over the course of his career has created three and a half billion, yes, billion with a B, billion dollars worth of shareholder value. So he is very experienced and has written all about why you should join a startup and why it's actually much safer than joining a corporation. So we dive deep into not only the advice that Steve has, but understanding his journey, his process of going from the corporate world to being a very successful startup executive, starting his own companies, and creating tons of shareholder value. So I hope that you enjoy this week's episode of the Silicon Alley Podcast. You got no time to waste, but still you hesitate. Caught in a circle saying, I'll never leave this place. Got you searching from the bright side over and over until you're looking on the inside. Yeah. One life, there's a feeling that you can't find. Holding a hope and only keep you on the outside. All right, so welcome to the Silicon Alley podcast. I'm here with Steve Cahan, who is the author of Be a Startup Superstar and has a lot of experience in startups. And I'm really excited to sit down with you, Steve, and uh, hear a little bit more about your story. It is great to be here. Well, welcome. To kick things off, can you give me a little background and context for our listeners as to who you are, what your experience is? So uh, I am a serial entrepreneur. I've been with six startup companies, now my seventh startup company, a company that is in cybersecurity known as Thycotic. All of the companies that I've worked with have grown at a rapid rate and uh, have eventually exited either selling or going public, generating about three and a half billion dollars in shareholder value. And so the, the journey of my career at these various companies is very much the same of what I'm experiencing here at Thycotic. So when I joined four years ago, we were about $5 million in annual revenue. This year, four years later, we'll exit north of $100 million. And so really growing like a rocket ship. My domain expertise happens to be marketing. That's where I have my, my deep expertise. All of my experience has been in technology, business to business, the focus on cybersecurity. And I've been blessed to have worked with hundreds of amazing startup entrepreneurs and have really learned quite a bit about how they think, the attitudes they have, and what they do that have helped them to be successful as well as, as, well as myself. You've got a lot of experience, and that's really exciting and, and three and a half billion dollars worth of shareholder value is uh, is is really incredible over the course of your career so what about the time before you you know got to where you are today tell me a little bit about that process because you weren't always in startups no it's uh, it, it's an interesting journey so for me I found early on that the traditional path of school to climbing the corporate ladder could not only be high risk for your career it, it could almost feel like a death trap and that's how it felt for me. And so, like so many other uh, families, uh, my father used to pound into me. He would say, Steve, go to work, get a job at a large corporation. You work hard. They'll take care of you and you will have a great career. And of course, then he would follow up and say, of course, your mother and I would much prefer that you become a doctor or a lawyer. But short of that, getting a job at a large corporation will do. And so that was the path I took. And I went to work at a large corporation. And I remember about a year and a half in, I uh, opened up my bank statement and I was down to $50 in my bank account. I was 22 years old. I worked in the cubicle and on the fourth floor of a nondescript office building in Schaumburg, Illinois, and processing claims. So I was working for a big company, staring at the pile of claims I had to process that day and was wondering how on earth will I ever get ahead? And so I asked myself an important question and that was, how do I earn a great living doing what I love? And I knew that it wasn't going to be at a, at a, at a large corporation. It certainly wasn't going to be processing claims. And so I made 
the leap. I made all the mistakes in the world that I've now since learned how to pick a, a good startup. But I made a leap into the startup world and and that a company uh, was w- turned out to be very successful uh, over time. And uh, and I've never looked back. That's amazing. And I guess I want to dive a little deeper into that decision-making process. So you said you felt like you were in a death trap and your parents had been pushing you down this path of go the corporate route, it's the safe route, or become a doctor lawyer. What was that moment or series of moments, getting down to $50 in your bank account, Like, what was that process like for you? So the process for me was, I mean, if you right now Google the phrase, people who feel stuck in their corporate jobs, you'll get over 300 million results. And I mean, that's a lot of content. There must be a lot of people who felt the same way or feel right now the same way that I did. And so for me, what I saw, and it really cuts to the heart of uh of a startup versus a large corporation based on my experience, none of them are bad, right? But this is what I learned was that to me at the large corporation, there was, it was just a lot of incumbent mindsets burdened by it, that you were pigeonholed into a smaller role. So for me, initially I was processing claims. I'd come in and it would never end. And it would just be one after another, after another. And these companies are like giant ships. They're hard to maneuver, they're slow to change course, there tended to be more bureaucracy or acceptance of the status quo. I mean, hearing the phrase, this is how we do things around here. And so vis-a-vis a startup, if you contrast that, a startup tends to be more like a speedboat that is running darts around the giant ships. There's more innovation typically, they move fast, it's more nimble. There's a far better chance to get to the, the C-suite. And you know, there's risk, there's frequent change, but if you're entrepreneurial as, as I am, it's, it's definitely a, a, a great environment to be in. Absolutely, and I, I couldn't agree with you more. I had a similar experience in my career. And I think a lot of the listeners that we have are feel similar and are, are interested in entrepreneurship if they're not already entrepreneurs. What was your experience like in your, your first startup? So you made that transition, you made the decision. What was it like? So first of all, I made every mistake that one could possibly make when joining my first startup. And so what I did was, is I just applied for jobs and didn't know how to select a, a separate a, a good startup versus one that might not be so good, which we can cover in, in just a moment. But I remember sort of on my first day that I looked in the office next to mine and I was hired. I was one of the first people in marketing and I was looking at people in that office and they were unplugging the copy machine, putting it on a dolly and literally rolling it right out of the office. And I was scratching my head and I came to find out a few days later, it was because the company couldn't afford to pay for the copy machine. And so I was a little worried, but I was blind to it. I was so pumped and excited to work with a small team of crazies hell-bent on changing the world, changing the way at that time applications were being developed. So for me, I took the opportunity to learn everything I could. And what I loved about it was basically marketing was on me and then ultimately one other person. So that means that I got a chance to do everything. If it was going to get done, I was going to be doing it or being involved in doing it. And it was awesome, right? There was such a versatility in the role. I had the opportunity to learn so much and to wear so many different hats. And and I failed at a lot of things, but I learned a ton and I was given sort of the space to do that. And just a few years later, that company went public and I got the bug and, and never left the startup world. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of mistakes and things that you have to consider when joining a startup. And at the same time, that excitement and energy that, that uh, startups tend to, tend to bring and create within all of their employees and what they're doing is, is really exciting. But as you mentioned, there's, there's definitely nuances and you have to be aware of how you pick a startup. So what have you learned having been a part of seven different startup companies throughout the years? And, and how, do you, how do you know that you're joining the right company or, or a, a quality startup? So there are specific attributes that I look for, and let me describe them to you. So not in any order per se, but I look at all of them and they've got to be able to check the box. So the first thing I look for is quality people who share share the same values. And so 
startups tend to be smaller companies, right? And, and I, I really don't define a startup by a size. I really decided to define it more as a mindset, as a culture, right? And so the people reflect the, the company's culture. And if you don't think you can respect, trust, and admire the people that are involved, then you got to move to another option. So I, first of all, look for maybe a small, but a solid team of A plus players who, who rock my world. So I, I, I look for that first and foremost. And you'll understand if those people are that way by reading what they publish, by asking them some really good questions that we can cover that could be super insightful of how you figure that out. The second thing I look at is, does the concept fill a big market need? Obviously, buyers of the startup's products oftentimes will not spend money on nice-to-solve solutions. They spend money on must-solves. And so do your homework. Take a look at what the influencers, what the analysts say. Make sure that the company is playing in a market that's big enough. Does their product uh, separate itself from the competition? And don't worry if there's lots of competition. Rather, you should worry if there is no competition, because that is probably a great example, uh, exhibit A, of there not being a, a large enough market. Then I look for a product that you could believe in, right? So does it resonate with you? Do you believe in it? Would you purchase, use, or recommend it? This is the product that you know, you're going to be going to work every day, sort of representing it, no matter what your role is. And so if you can't get behind it with enthusiasm, move on. And then finally, is the startup well-funded? So naturally, you want to choose a startup that has a long enough runway to get off the ground. And so make sure that you know that the uh, startup is properly capitalized so you have the best chance for growth and stability. Perfect. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And those are really important facets when, when making a decision. You mentioned the, the questions that you specifically ask the people, and, and these are the folks that you're going to be working with day in and day out and building essentially this vision and dream of a new, a new way of doing things. So what are some of those questions that, uh, that you, incur you would encourage folks to ask? So I'm going to share with, with your listeners some unconventional questions that really cut at is, is does the startup uh, sort of fit uh, underneath those criteria? So here are, here are the questions I ask. So one question, why is now the time for your company to exist? Another, what key milestones has the company achieved? Another, what do you love about your team and why are you the ones to solve this problem? Another, tell us about your first paying customer or just a paying customer. How did that happen? Tell me their story and what are the revenue expectations over the next year? Another, how much has the company raised and what's its runway? Who are your investors and why did you choose them? What's the biggest threat you're concerned about today? And here's one that really gets at the values. If you weren't building your startup, what would you be doing? Those are the questions that I tend to ask. It makes a lot of sense. It, I think you can really get to the heart of the, the company and, and the people and the culture through those questions, it sounds like. Are there certain red flags that people should be aware of? So are there certain things that if you see it, you, you should run the other way? First of all, I will absolutely focus in on the product and the market, right? And then the quality of the management team, right? And so for me, Doug Irwin, who is a chairman of a venture capital company and a friend of mine, when he gets thousands of companies that he looks at to invest in. And his criteria is management team, management team, management team, right? And so I really look at the strength, the quality of that team, the experience that they have. I don't get overly concerned if they failed in the past, but I, I look at the management team and I really look at the product and the market. And so you know, oftentimes you could just take a look at a particular market, for example, that I happen to play in today in a sector of cybersecurity, which is one of the hottest, hottest areas uh, to be in. And so, you know, for me, that really helps you to when you have the wind at your back, 
as opposed to it being a slog because you're trying to get people to buy something that they maybe really don't absolutely need, that is tough. So when I'm looking at like hot markets with a solid management team, you know, that's what I really look for. If I don't see that, I would avoid it at all costs. That makes a lot of sense. So it'd be great if you could explain how you've used these in the past. So you mentioned Thycotic focusing on a specific area within cybersecurity that's really hot. How have you used this framework throughout your career? I've used this framework as, as a checklist, and I'll give, I'll give a specific example. So for me, when I join a company, I mean, I know these things right off the, the top of my head, and now your, your, your listeners have them, and I cover them in, in more depth in, in my book. But I, I, use, I use these as a checklist. So there was a company that I was at. It was a company by the name of Bindview. And I was running marketing and I, the CEO hired me and, and, and asked me to help turn around the company. It was a public company, but its fortunes were, were not going the way he expected. And we, we did that. And, and the goal was is that we did that. And he believed that if we did, that there would be some suitors. And, and there was. And Symantec bought us. And just as Symantec was buying us, I, I knew that, um, that I wasn't going to stay with that. And Microsoft came knocking at my door. And it was a big role. It was GM role. It was known as uh, partner level within Microsoft. And Microsoft pulled off all the amazing, amazing stops. I mean, it was a, a great interview process. We, I met with several senior players, had the opportunity to meet Steve Ballmer at, this, at the time who was there. And they even found out that my son loved video games and the next day an Xbox showed up. So these guys were good. And it was so it was a big offer and my wife was with me and it, it was like an unusually sunny summer in Seattle. And I was like, this is heaven on earth. And, you know, I looked at my checklist and I decided right before I was going to accept the, the job, was to call the person that I'd be reporting to, who's a senior player. And I said, gee, you know, if we have a big time market opportunity and I needed to make some updates to the website, tell me what would be involved in making that happen, the Microsoft website. And what I found, at least at that time anyways, it was like an act of Congress. And- <laughs> What I saw within myself when you sort of look at that criteria, I said, gee, you know, I like the opportunity to move fast, be nimble, have that opportunity to, to change the world. And I'm not sure that I'm going to be able to make that huge dent in that big ocean versus a nice wave within a, within a lake. And so I, I used my criteria and, and then concluded that I needed to go to a different startup that 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 the bigger corporate environment just wasn't for me. Yeah, Steve, thank you for sharing that example. I think that that really shows you applying these principles in practice. So, so we focus a lot on tech. That's obviously where your background is. How does this apply outside of technology specifically? Because I'm not an engineer. Let's say I'm not an engineer and I don't have relevant, necessarily relevant experience, or I was a studio art major or a psych major or something along those lines. How does this apply to startups in general? And what should I do if I don't really know how to find a, a startup in technology specifically? Does this apply? It does, right? And so the first thing that I will tell you is that there are 46,000 venture-backed startups around the United States. Roughly 40 plus percent of them are in and around the technology space. And since 1995, 65% of all jobs have been created within small and mid-sized businesses. And so there was a recent survey that was done of startup CEOs. And what they asked in the survey is, what's the number one thing keeping you up at night? What the answer was, was hiring good people. Now, think of that. The answer wasn't growing revenue, acquiring customers, or gaining access to more capital. It was how they find and hire more talented people to grow their companies. And so with that as a backdrop, what your listeners need to understand is that startups are desperate for hiring and they're hiring all kinds of people in every single functional area. And so for me, I've worked a career in the technology uh, startup world and I can't code one single line of code if my life depended on it, right? And so startups are hiring in sales, marketing, 
finance, HR, uh, all the various functions in addition to uh, R&D, right? And so then it comes down to is, you know, how do you go about finding these startups? And and obviously there's the obvious research you could do, you know, I won't cover that, but let me cover a couple of ways that you could find some hidden gems. And so one way is there are a number of accelerators throughout the country, often known as seed accelerators. And these are companies that if you Googled, for example, Austin, Texas accelerators, you're going to have a, a list of accelerators that come up. And these companies provide guidance, capital, et cetera, to startups. And these companies oftentimes post their jobs on these accelerator websites and their jobs across every functional area. And they're in virtually every major city in the United States. And so that's one. The second is, and this is really underutilized, is doing some research in your particular area of startups or even bigger companies and going right directly at the executives uh, via LinkedIn, for example. So so I'll give you some examples. There have been some people who have come to me over the years in sincere, heartfelt matters who are looking to gain advice on how to take their career to the next level. Now, if you're reaching out to busy executives, don't be despondent if you don't get a, a ton of responses, but you will get responses. And the reason for that is that people like myself, I certainly feel this way, we have been helped along the way, right? And so many people have helped us. It takes a, a lot of people to make an individual actually successful. And so you, what you will find is that most executives want to pay that forward. And so if you go in a sincere way and you then break through and you're able to get some career advice, you're able to then very, you know, not sales, salesy, but in a, again, thoughtful way to bridge the conversation to you where you're saying like, gee, I'd like to follow a career path similar to you. Do you mind if I just tell you a minute or two about myself and very specifically what, what you recommend that I do? And just the simple opportunity of bridging that conversation and given the fact that startups are desperate for hiring, more often than not, that if there's an opportunity at that company or an opportunity for that person to make an introduction, even at another company, you will find that they will do that. So not enough people go right directly to those executives, but do your homework. Research what people like I say, what we're doing Make sure that you don't just have some generic, uh, hey, I'm looking for a job where that's what it might not say, but that's what it uh, communicates. Uh, that That isn't the approach. But those are two ways I, that I found that you could find those positions in the various functional areas, even if you can't code one single line. Steve, I love that, especially the the second piece of going directly to the executives of of a company that you're interested in, because I, I think it also shows that you've done your homework, right? If you're reaching out, you're being thoughtful, you've followed their company, you've followed that individual and understand what you know they're about. That also shows that you're probably a potential fit culturally as well. So I really like that approach. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, you'd be amazed the opportunities that you can that you can get by by doing that. Absolutely. Now, I want to tweak the conversation a little bit and get your perspective on what if I want to start my own startup? I've got an idea. I just really want to start my own business. What's some advice that you would give to to folks in that position? So, I actually did that in my career, right? I started a company that we that ultimately had an exit and probably we exited way too early, so that was probably could have grown that further, but but let me give you the experience that I went through. So the first thing is, as I mentioned, that I like to solve must-haves, right? And so I would say in my case, I was close to it. And so what I would do is, is that I would, um, I was studying the security market at that time. And what I learned was that there were tons of alerts that were hitting overburdened cybersecurity professionals who couldn't handle all of it from all the various products that they had, telling them that there might be problems. And what I envisioned in my mind was that, gee, these should really come from a single pane of glass. And 
should be presenting themselves in an organized, coherent fashion. And so what I did was I did my homework and I did a tremendous amount of like research just to make sure that this was uh, that this was a, a the problem that I thought it was. And then I kind of just put together a quick and dirty plan. Like, so I didn't overthink it. I didn't create war and peace in terms of a plan and try and think out every single nuance. And the idea that I then had was, was rather than going through a long, elongated product development cycle was, I believed, again, this was several years ago, that there were network management products that actually could, with some small changes, could do this work. And so I researched that market and saw there were some non-players like in a Gartner Magic Quadrant in that space that were in the bottom left, right, that really had no chance and weren't going to go anywhere. And so um, I looked for an unconventional and quick path to market. And then from there, I looked for an investor that shared the same enthusiasm that I had and we flew down to this company and the the product that they had, I mean, they knew it wasn't going anywhere and we were able to buy it for very little. And so we were able to get this product, some core talent, a product that needed some changes uh, of some people who believed in this concept that we had come up with. And then I was able, as I mentioned, to find an individual who provided some seed funding and we were going. And so my advice is, is look for the quicker path to market. Make sure that you're solving the A+. I found that funding early on by passionately communicating my vision. And because we knew that we were solving a big problem, we were able to come out of the gate with making some nice sales and then ultimately um, exited out of that company within a couple of years and building a you know, multi-million dollar business. Wow, that's that's uh, that's a great story, and that's a, a different perspective. I haven't heard really anyone talking about going out and finding a product that's already built that's close to what you what you want to create and will solve the problem, but and actually acquire that. And that's why I shared it because it's a little bit unconventional. And and the reason why I share that story is you could get a lot of advice. You could read the different startup books on you know how to start up a startup or go to different seminars and you'll Google. There's tons of information. But what I wanted to share is that there are unconventional ways that you could have quick paths quicker, maybe not exactly the same scenario, but to be looking for those. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's that's huge. So thank you for for sharing that because that, that is a unique perspective for sure. One of the things that I want to uh, talk a little bit about is what happens if a startup fails? What happens to my career? What happens to, what happens if, if a startup fails? Startups fail, right? And so there's no question about it. Now, we did cover some of the criteria that uh, that would help you greatly minimize that from happening to you if you follow the criteria earlier in the uh, discussion. Mm-hmm. But I, I think what it really comes down to is some of the attributes that make you a standout candidate at a startup or even a, a large a corporation. But in the case of startups, there are going to be not only failures, but there's going to be constant obstacles, right? And so if you, you're you really a startup person, if persistence and tenacity are part of your DNA, then you, know, you won't get dissuaded by those types of things. To me, failure happens. I mean, you want to learn from it. You want to be smart. You want to be able to move on. But if you are someone who is persistent, who doesn't view and blow up every single obstacle in front of you to be Mount Everest when maybe it's just a hill for you to be able to focus in on the key priorities. But then also, if you saw a startup, you know, they rarely do. They just fail out of nowhere. So sometimes, uh, for example, one of the greatest skills that someone could have at a startup is being able to call out the, the elephant in the room. Right. And so sometimes you might be at a startup where you learn that maybe that there is a particular issue. Right. And that and a lot of times that that elephant, you know, have you ever been business meeting or you're you're at a company where things seem to be going great, you know, seemingly you're getting stuff accomplished. Yet there's a big issue that's hanging over everyone's head like a cloud. 
And these are the issues that people are thinking about, but no one wants to discuss. And it's the issues that everybody tiptoes around, and that's that elephant. And the elephant in the room, it's, it's an expression that refers to the big, obvious problem or problems that no one wants to bring up. And these are the topics that are uncomfortable. They're usually the ones people want to avoid. And why not? Because it's easier, it's less stressful to avoid a lot of the big problems. But unlike fine wine, elephants don't get better over time. They rarely vanish and they must be addressed head on. So if you see some of these signs that people are not addressing, address them, right? And so I think that that's sort of something that you can act on. Again, assuming you've picked the right startup, but if you start seeing some of those signs, some of those elephants, don't be one of those that tiptoes around them. Don't walk around fires, go put them out. I love that. I I, I think that's a huge, important important skill set to have, especially at a startup when you've got to do that or else the the business could uh, could go under. So it's very important to address those those big elephants in the room. Can you share a story with listeners about what it's like being inside of a successful high-flying startup and what makes that experience so special? So there was a cybersecurity startup um, many years ago that I had the opportunity to join. And I remember on that first day, the CEO organized a meeting with the company's leadership where I'd hear about the big problems facing the company, challenges that my new team and I were going to be responsible for solving. And listening to them, some may have viewed those challenges as insurmountable. In this case, we were taking on bigger, better funded competitors, as you often are, that had all of the advantages. And successfully solving for those challenges would ultimately determine the fate of the company. And I knew that. And so after I had heard these, I went back with my new team and my new team and I went to work. And we basically set up a goal that in the next 100 days, we're going to make changes in strategy and we, we changed everything. And so we went to work. And what I remember is my, how my new team and I stepped up how incredibly hard they worked, the amazing creativity and enthusiasm they brought to the table every day. And what we did was we delivered a new marketing plan and executed on it that changed the game and put these bigger, better funded competitors into positions that they couldn't defend. We launched that plan at lightning speed, as I mentioned, within the first hundred days. And the entire organization, we launched it at a quarterly kickoff meeting and was aligned. And I'll never forget the feeling with that. And the company knew at that point that we had a, a bounce in our step. We knew that we would be successful. And fast forward five years later, uh, the company had a, a very successful exit. And now, Many years, many, many years after the company has successfully exited, so many of us at that company descend on Houston, Texas, which is where we are located, and go to annual reunion parties. And all we could do is reminisce at these parties how awesome it was to be part of something so special. We learned so much and we created bonds that will last the rest of our lives. Not one single day felt like work. Uh, and so that was the type of experience I was blessed to be a part of. And for me, what it was really like being at a startup and many of the startups that I have been with. That's an amazing story. And, you know, it really hits home of wanting to leave an impact and have meaning w within the work that you're doing. And it sounds like the, the way that you, you still get together as a group just shows how, how powerful that experience was and and obviously very successful to boot. It was. And I mean, to this day, I mean, it's almost amazing when, you know, there was, I think at our, at our apex, there was maybe 325, 350 number of employees. And when I mentioned these annual reunion parties, I mean, literally 15 years later, 200 show up. It's insane. Right. And so, and, and everybody may not talk all that much during the year and people fly in from all over. And, uh, but it's like your family, right? And so now can you imagine that very same scenario happening at, um, I don't know, General Electric or Philip Morris? Maybe. 
I doubt it though. Yeah, no, that's that's special for sure. So I want to transition a little bit here. You have obviously released this book. You now are are in your seventh startup. What are your dreams and goals and targets? What are you really focused on now, Steve? So my dreams and goals, like everyone, over time, they change and evolve and should. And so first of all, I very much have been and, and am focused on giving back. And that's personally and professionally. On a personal level, I'm very much focused on being the best husband, father, friend I could be to those that uh, I have the opportunity to touch, as well as the best grandfather, by the way. And I've got a second grandchild coming in a couple of weeks. Congratulations. (laughs) I'm so excited. You have no idea. (laughs) And so that's more on the personal side. On the professional side, in terms of giving back, it's growing, helping to grow the next round of leaders, the next round of CMOs in the team that I'm working with today. And, and then also it had a lot to do with, with writing the book that I, that I did. And so the book, Be a Startup Superstar, what it is really incorporating is just lessons that I've learned from so many smart and talented entrepreneurs over the years. And what it covers is why choose a startup over a large corporation. Secondly, how to find and land a job at the best startup. And then once you're at a startup, what I've characterized under the seven keys to the C-suite are 35 actions, attitudes, and behaviors that I've learned that one should take in order to maximize their success when they're at a startup. And it's written very much in a how-to format. It's a quick read. And then it is brought to life with illustrations from examples in my career, as well as the careers of other super successful entrepreneurs that I know. Well, thank you. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's really important, especially since you've had so much success to to give back. And I'm really excited about this book, having had a, a similar a similar path of being in the uh, corporate world and you know, a company in the S&P 500 and then moving to a startup and now building a startup. This really resonates. The lessons and guidance that you've put forth, I think is extremely, extremely valuable to the community and those interested in entrepreneurship and being a part of a startup and something visionary. Yeah, and absolutely. And Be a Startup Superstar, it's it's available on my website at, at www.beastartupsuperstar.com or wherever books are sold online. And Really, for me, if people read the book and they're, they have questions or uh, they have comments on it and they contact me directly, I respond to every one. Wow. So please, yeah, if you're listening, take advantage. Um, Steve is, has just opened perhaps Pandora's box there, but uh, he, uh, he'll be able to, uh, to, to definitely give guidance and be a valuable resource I want to pivot here. We've got some wrap-up questions, and my my focus is a lot on personal finance and financial well-being. We don't teach financial literacy, and I'm curious, in the context of your career and being an entrepreneur, could you describe your relationship with money and how that has impacted, being an entrepreneur has impacted your relationship with, with money? So it's a great question. What I would say essentially is this is that over my career, I've been blessed in that I've had the opportunity to make more compensation, to earn higher bonuses and and all of that, right? And so as you move your career, if it moves in the right direction, that will happen. But let me tell you what also happens. What also happens is that as you move on in, in your career, you have a family, you have a spouse, you have children, you want to buy a house, you want to get a cool car, there's other things you want to do, you want to go on vacations. And so the net of it is, is even the most disciplined investor and saver, at least I'll speak for myself, I have always figured out a way to, no matter how much more I'm making, that I figure out ways to spend it. And so I probably don't own the patent on that. And so for me, the way that I look at my investments in particular is that, and I have investments that, that is without question, but the biggest investment that I make and the takeaway is I view myself as the biggest investment. So when I look at a particular opportunity, stock options, and if, if you choose the right startup, are critically important to me. 
And the reason for that is if you're investing in the general stock market, you could do lots of research and, and everyone should, but you really don't know fully what's going on the inside of the company. Do you really know that management team? Is that CEO kick and tail working on all the right things or, or are they not, right? And so you really don't know you're not on the inside. Yet, when you receive stock options in a company, you are on the inside. You know what's going on. You can impact the outcome of that company, maybe not fully, but certainly make an impact. And so the only reason why I've been able to achieve uh, the financial success that I have and the nest egg that I've been able to build is strictly by betting on myself and the team that I work with and the stock options that I've received and watching them increase in value. To me, that is maybe financially anyways, the number one financial reason to work at a startup and how I view that relationship. Absolutely. That's critically important. And I, I think betting on yourself is, is one of the, the best decisions that you can make and uh, financial decisions as well. So I I really appreciate you you bringing that up and diving into that, Steve. So a few rapid fire questions, and then we'll wrap up here. What's the best investment you have ever made? Well, I mean, the best investment I've ever made is what I've just articulated is an investment in me. <laughs> and so, I mean, I, I, um, I mean, I've made good investments. I've made bad investments, you know, in the stock market, like other people without question and uh, annuities as well, a broad-based uh, portfolio, a financial advisor that I count on. But you know, I look for appreciation in that portfolio. But really, I believe the big appreciation, take, for example, where I'm at now, as I mentioned, Thicotic was a relatively small company when I joined. It is no longer. And so we have grown in a massive way. So we have increased shareholder value dramatically and we're just getting started right and so we we have a long runway ahead of us for me that best investment is right now in thicotic and so i'm i'm hell-bent on working with a great team on to make sure that that our company continues to serve customers better than our competitors do absolutely best and worst part of entrepreneurship the best part of entrepreneurship, in my view, is the ability to express that innovation and that camaraderie with like-minded individuals who, who are also A-plus talent and entrepreneurs, and to be able to see the actual results of the work that you do help you to grow a company, to beat competition, to better satisfy a customer, to help someone achieve more in their career. Those are the special things to me that make entrepreneurship so awesome. I'd say the, the worst part about it, and also I have a, a solution for it as well, but it's something that I had to learn, right? So I'm going to say what it is, and then I'm going to say what you need to do to sort of um, solve for it is, you know, when you're at a startup, there's no question. It's hard work, right? I mean, there's long hours and there is no easy button, right? And so the real key and what I've learned is how you manage that work-life balance, right? And I actually have come to, I heard a term just the other day that I thought was awesome because I, I actually don't like the term work-life balance because it suggests that there's a right answer and there is no perfection. And the term that I heard was work-life harmony, which I like because it, it suggests a sliding scale. And what I've learned how to create that harmony is essentially this, is that you've got to be your own top priority. You have to be priority number one. And the real question that I would ask your listeners right now is, does their calendars reflect this? Are you your own top priority? So let me challenge you right now. Go ahead and open your calendar right now and check to see how many appointments you have with yourself this week or next week. And I'll bet you that there are too few. And think about some of the most valuable uses of your time and, and how it can help you to achieve your top business or personal priorities. Have you blocked out time for your calendar to, to do those things? Have you built out time for your calendar for your family? Are you coming home for dinner? Uh, are you maybe leaving later uh, a morning occasionally? Are, do you, have you blocked off time to work out? Have you blocked off time in your calendar for you to learn? Right. And so what I've learned 
is that if you put yourself and your family first, you block off time in your calendar that you could be kind of a workaholic and still have great amount of time for all the things that make life sweet as well, which oftentimes are your family, your friends, and yourself. And so you don't have to sacrifice one to achieve the other because they're interdependent. Because if you're unhappy in your personal life, it's going to affect your work life and vice versa. So you don't have to let that happen. So this is a, a lesson that I learned, and that's how I've, uh, I've learned to get a lot better to minimize what is oftentimes associated with a negative aspect of entrepreneurship, particularly at a startup. No, that's fantastic. Thanks for introducing that that term, work-life harmony. I really like that a lot. Dumbest money mistake you've made? Dumbest money mistake I've made is I invested in a as a limited partner in a venture portfolio with a, a group of people that managed money of some very successful people but didn't do enough research actually into how they chose the companies that they have uh, that they ultimately selected to invest in and just sort of believed in their people and clientele and that investment it's not a disaster and still may come back someday but it's um it isn't exactly working the way I had hoped. And so what I've learned is, is that if you are looking into those types of organizations to invest in as a limited partner, don't just do it on the basis of some of the other people that might be a part of it as well. Do your own personal research and dig in. And I normally do that. In this case, I did not. And so that was sort of um, an investment that I've not been pleased with, but I've also figured out why and what I would do in the future. Perfect. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Most frivolous way you've spent uh, your money? Is the show like five hours or? <laughs> right. Well, there's like there probably a ton of those, to be honest with you. My wife and I love to, love to eat good food. I mean, bottom line. And so we will go out to a ton of amazingly great restaurants and maybe spend way, way, way too much just uh, just learning and experiencing new food and wine and things of that nature. But that's probably the area where, where we just, uh, on an almost everyday basis, a ton of money gets sunk into. So that, that and wine, I would say. Perfect. Yeah. Though if it brings you joy, I don't I don't know if you can really call it frivolous. So Yeah, I guess like being someone who's kind of, you know, I spend plenty of money, but I'm also a little bit cheap, I guess, in a way. So <laughs> but frivolous, uh, I guess, is in the eye of the beholder. <laughs> Absolutely. Fair enough. Fair enough. What do you think's the biggest challenge facing everyday Americans when it comes to finances? I think the biggest challenge, and it's really why I have tried to share my experiences in the startup world, is that it's just damn hard to get ahead. It just really is, right? And so it's one of the big reasons why I advocate getting into startups because it's it's not only all the other stuff that that we've talked about, but really if the financial end of it is is a is a key piece. I just, there's not enough people who could have these pots of gold. Now they may be of different sizes that I acknowledge at the end of the rainbow that actually help people get ahead. And I think that too many people, unfortunately, it's it's sad to me because it's it's my family. I've been blessed to, to not be a part of it, at least at this stage, are just struggling to get by every day. And so I really think that one great way to get ahead is in startups and by getting stock options. And the biggest piece of advice I would give is for more people to be thinking about that as a career route. And maybe it's the financial reasons that might actually be the most compelling to, to some. Perfect. Well, Steve, thank you so much. And you mentioned where to find your, your book. If you could um, go ahead and let us know again and any other advice or things you'd like to leave the, the listeners with, I'll give you the floor. So my book is Be a Startup Superstar. It's available at www.beastartupsuperstar.com or where books are sold online. And so if I could leave you with one takeaway, it's this, is that today's startups have big ideas and they're well-funded and they're desperate to hire smart, 
motivated, hardworking people in innovative environments that are buzzing with energy and opportunity. So if you want to earn a great living doing what you love for the right startup, you could be a godsend. That's a great note to end on. Thank you so much, Steve. This has been uh, fantastic and a really, really great conversation. And I really appreciate you taking the time to, to speak with us and opening up about your experience as an entrepreneur and this wonderful advice that you have to share. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you for having me. All right. So that concludes my conversation with Steve Cahan, the chief marketing officer of Thycotic and the author of Be a Startup Superstar. So go check out his book. He goes into way more depth than we were able to cover today on the podcast. Thank you so much for listening to the Silicon Alley podcast. It means a lot. And I hope that you are really enjoying the guests that we are having on. If you are, please share with friends or other entrepreneurs that you think would find value from the podcast. And if you have not subscribed, please be sure to subscribe. Thanks so much. I'm your host, William Glass, and that's it for the Silicon Alley Podcast. Have a great rest of your day. You got no time to waste, but still you hesitate. Caught in a circle saying, I'll never leave this place. Some words got you searching for the bright side over and over until you're looking on the inside. There's a feeling that you can't find Holding a hole and only keep you on the outside Special thanks to Brett Miller for providing his song Million Voices as the theme music to this podcast. Special thanks to Carolina Gancars for help directing. And thank you for listening. If you have any suggestions for future episodes or future guests to appear on the Silicon Alley Podcast, follow us on social media and shoot us a message at Silicon Alley Podcast on all the socials. Twitter, it's at Silicon Alley Pod. Thanks so much for listening. This is a Financial Glass production. Here's a sneak peek into next week's episode. And went swing dancing one night. We went to the swing dance lesson and it was a bunch of like awkward dudes. We show up at the swing dance lesson. All of them are hating it from like the first minute. But I got there and I was like, yo, this is some really, really cool stuff. So all of them hated it. They're like, I'm never coming back. That was that was an experience, but it's it's once it's a once one time experience. And I was like, I'm gonna be back next week, same time. Catch me here. So I just kept coming back. New episodes every Friday. You know that feeling of perfectly timing the stock market, making millions of dollars, getting paid what you're worth and having your boss appreciate you, or winning the lottery whenever you feel like buying a ticket? Yeah, neither do we. It seems like everyone else gets a cut of your hard-earned money before you do. And no one seems to want you to save, invest, and get rich. Well, don't worry. At Ostrich, we are changing all that. We at Ostrich believe you deserve better than the status quo. We want everyone to live a life where money is no longer a source of stress, especially you. Ostrich is a mobile app that helps you easily set and track your money goals. Joining the Ostrich flock means you'll be surrounded by others who also want you to be wealthy and happy. Ever felt like you needed an accountability buddy to help you get that money and to make those tougher financial choices? Ostrich has you covered. The best part is Ostrich is free. And no, we aren't a bank or a broker. We are different. We are folks who are fed up with the system. Sign up for Ostrich at getostrich.com and join the flock today.